What's going on? Not a whole lot. That was a tough one. Yeah, no kidding. Good. (laughs) (laughs) That's frustrating. Uh, yeah, it was, but I thought it was interesting all the same. Yeah, for sure. We can get into it. The timeline obviously is uh, all at Vogel and everyone's heads tonight. It looks like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember when I uh, um, when I played at Arizona Christian, the last school that I played at, there was. Always, we had eleven guys in our rotation mm-hmm. who were legitimately very good, and I felt really bad for the coach in retrospect because making the decisions he had to make in a night in night out basis on who's going to play, who wasn't going to play, and knowing that pretty much anybody you put out there belongs, but right. by putting someone out there that belongs, it means you have to take someone out who also belongs. Like, for instance, playing Mark in the fourth quarter that comes with the counter effect of benching Drummond in the fourth quarter and how that might impact his psyche and, you know, going away from uh, like playing a lot of THT uh, to try to get dribble creation means that you're going to end up leaving Ben McLemore on the bench and how that affects your spacing. And all of it is like this given this take and all you're doing is making these decisions that no matter what you do, you'll be judged on the result. So, you know, no one said a damn thing about the rotation, you know, when they won five of their last eight games. But, you know, now uh, he's getting micromanaged. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I was confused by some of the decisions he made tonight, too. But at the end of the day, I sympathize with him for what is a, just an extremely difficult job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I felt like Mark was it was pretty clear that Mark wasn't going to play like that was just the, the thing that he was going to do for right now to get Drummond and Trez minutes. But Trez was playing so bad that he got, you know, Mark some run in there. I, I don't know. I'm not really, I can't really blame the rotations. Like, I, I don't know how I watch this game and think like, yeah, Mark would have helped. I'm not sure he would have really like changed the outcome of tonight. The Knicks were just so much more physical um, their defense was on point. Their rotations were there. Um, and then all those turnovers, just our margin for error is just not high enough to where if we get nothing on offense from our front court, I think Drummond and Trez had three points combined or something tonight. Like our margin for error is just not high enough to get nothing from them and still be able to win these type of games, especially when we're not shooting especially well um, from three either. And then all those turnovers from Schroeder and just reckless passes that just had no chance. These lobs that, I mean, Schroeder threw one lob to Kuzma tonight that looked like it was going to hit the ceiling. I mean, it's just just a bunch of those plays uh, really hurt us uh, in this one. Let's see from the chat here. Yeah, Kuzma with his three-point shooting. Yeah, it's his first game back, I guess, from uh, his injury tonight. So that was he had a, he had a rough he had the worst plus-minus I think tonight. He was like a minus twenty-six or something. So that was a rough game from Kuz. He's getting back into it though. I mean, like the yeah. thing, the thing with Kuzma is he like he's been basically away from basketball for a week and hopped into it against one of the best defenses. Uh, that you'll run into on a night in night out basis here in the league. Um, there was a lot of really interesting stuff that happened. I, I was, I was really confused by how poor Montrez looked. Um, it's funny cause Taj Gibson is kind of like, even, even at Taj Gibson's very best, he was like a lesser version of Montrez kind of an undersized, right. super, super lanky, a little bit more defensive oriented than, than Trez is, but like that kind of like undersized type of forward guy that, um, had a lot of success, um, you know, in the league and, and he just got absolutely bullied on both ends of the floor. 
uh, 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 Taj always does a really good job of defending in like a kind of a foully physical type of way that for whatever reason just doesn't get called. And he's been with that ever since he was in Chicago. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and he just totally, totally, um, uh, psyched Montrez out. It looked like he wouldn't, wasn't able to get off the ground around the basket. And it's just because of the physicality that Taj was giving him, you know, with the turnovers that you had mentioned a second ago, it it was interesting because like they, they turned the ball over a lot back when LeBron and AD were playing too. But back then you could be like, okay, well, LeBron's very aggressive passer. Like he's always trying to create stuff around the rim and, you know, a turnover for LeBron is akin to like a missed wide open shot because he's trying to create stuff right at the rim. And then there was some of the stuff with like integrating all these new players, you know, all these guys that weren't around mm-hmm. last year and, and some of the, the growing pains that come with that. And then they go out and the turnovers that they're experiencing now are just sloppiness, like an inability to handle ball pressure, and like a, a bunch of guys who aren't great dribble creators being forced into dribble creation type of roles. So I think it's a different type of turnover that they're getting plagued by now compared to what it was, you know, before the injuries. Yeah. I thought the Knicks hit the Lakers with some of their own medicine, right? They were very physical. They were trapping, um, they were trapping shooter off screen rolls and they were also trapping Drummond in the post. And uh, every time he would catch the ball, they would absolutely swarm. And then they would kick out the, the kickout passes would be really bad. They would be at the feet. Like Caruso had a bunch of passes at his feet. Uh, shooter as well. Um, really bad on point passes to the three point shooters. And then Taj Gibson, like I've never seen Trez and even Drummond too. Their body language was, was just really bad tonight. Like it felt like they could tell they were getting manhandled and then it just, oh, it just yeah. crept through. Like when, like when Trez caught that ball before he got swatted by Gibson, you could tell he had zero confidence in that shot. Like he threw up some soft little floater and Gibson sent that back. Um, he, he threw that back really easily, but yeah, the the body language was awful. I've never really seen this. Is probably the worst game I've seen from Trez, and that that happens in a you know in a seventy two eighty two game season. Um, he's, you're gonna have bad nights, but um, yeah, and the, the Lakers margin for error, Joe, is just not large enough to to take that from those guys. So hopefully they pick it up. But yeah, the Knicks, man, you got to give them credit. Julius Randle hit like six mid range contested jumpers in the first quarter, and you know I think you said it too on Twitter. You li- you live with those shots. Like those are the ones you can live with. It's all the offensive rebounds. Um, they almost it felt like they got every single missed shot that came off the rim, and uh, yeah, that, that's where you lost the game tonight. That that their defense was was great. Yeah, I want to pay a compliment to Julius Randle because I mean he's been good all season. So I, this isn't uh, yeah. you know some sort of new revelation, but tonight he was just the best player on the floor by a country mile, and uh, he did it by making tough shots, but he also did it by generating easy shots. He was great defensively Uh, in the fourth quarter. When they got it back to within five, he just went right back to work. Uh, Like right after that, they had a a play where Alfred Payton attacked Marcus all and pick and roll, got a layup. And then, and then when it was seven and they went down and got a stop, Julius Randle came down and just absolutely bullied Markeith Morris for the and one. And just like that, Mm -hmm. it was, it was back to 10 and, and that's like feeling the moment type of stuff. Like, uh, super impactful baskets that come in moments of the game when things are kind of teetering one way or the other. And I, I was really, really impressed. He just like that. That's not fake jump shooting. Like all season long, he's been consistently good as mm-hmm. a jump shooter, even as his numbers have come down a little bit as of late. Like he just is, he's a really good shooter now. And that, that takes a lot of hard work, especially for a guy like him that coming out of college didn't really have great form and wasn't really a great, uh, like a, he wasn't the type of guy you would expect to become a good shooter. And he just, he just 
worked his ass off and, and became that guy and just absolutely manhandled the Lakers uh, tonight. Um, <clears throat> really quickly, something I thought was really interesting that Jason Maples brought up. And by the way, I reached out to Maples today and he couldn't make it tonight because he had some stuff going on, but I think he's going to hop on the next time we do one of these. Uh, and he's obviously always great with this kind of stuff and it'll be fun to have him on. Um, but he made a good point. He was talking about how like the Knicks defense just takes every single type of basic action and, and, and neutralizes it, right? Like you yeah. run, you run your sets when you don't have great offensive talent, you run your sets to try to get something going. And then when the sets don't work, maybe you'll run pick and roll with Drummond and with Schroeder. And by the end, by the, by, by the middle of the third quarter, basically they had completely shut all of that down. None of it was working. Yeah. And if you noticed like THT Schroeder Caruso in particular, KCP a little bit too, what they kept doing was making two or three aggressive dribbles, getting to like 18, 20 feet yeah. and then immediately having to pick up their dribble because the defense would shut off their driving lane. And then constantly they'd be like moving around on their pivot foot because the other four guys would all immediately get into denial. Nobody's open. They're stuck in no man's land with like 18 feet from the rim. Nothing really they can do. And they end up throwing some like looping pass to try to get the ball back out. That's because none of those guys have the ability to really gain an advantage in those matchups because of the players that the Knicks play. And if you look at what it would look like if a guy like LeBron or a guy like Anthony Davis is out there, you actually simplify things. You, you stop running sets. You, yeah. you don't even necessarily run pick and roll. You just get the, get the worst defender that's on the floor onto LeBron or AD and force them to either double or leave that guy on an island where they're going to get a good shot every time. And you can, you can attack that type of defense. But tonight, once the Knicks really dialed it in like that, I knew the Lakers were going to have a really hard time scoring. Yeah, and they had a bunch of strips on the ball too, right? I think there was like three straight possessions where like I think Schroeder drove twice and then I think Kuzma also where they got the hand on the ball. They're super aggressive and I'm, they're, they're showing the highlights here um, on, on Spectrum uh, on the replay. And yeah, they're just they're just trapping everywhere, doubling. And it, it really looked like the Lakers defense. Like it looks like I'm watching a mirror, like a mirror of what the Lakers do because that's what they do to teams, right? They trap, make them, make them sped up, uh, make them go faster than they want to. And that's definitely what... Uh, what happened with the with the Lakers tonight? They looked like they were going one extra speed than they wanted to. Like Schroeder, uh, Tht Caruso, none of them looked comfortable at all. Um, Kuzma and when Drummond would catch it as well, um, he he did not handle any of those double teams well. Uh, his passes all were really uh, bad passes out to the three point line. Trez as well. All those guys try to shoot over like three people, and it just wasn't working. The Knicks obviously game plan to uh, clog up the middle, right? They weren't going to let anyone get to the rim. I think Schroeder took a couple mid-range jumpers, but other than that, uh, the guys really struggled with with the Knicks defense. So credit to them; that was that was a great game plan by them. There's, uh, it's not a coincidence that they're the fourth best net rating uh, defense of the league. I think they're also second in uh, points allowed since like March, uh, since the end of March or something like that, uh, behind the Lakers. So their defense is legit, and they have a star in Julius Randle, and he he played well. And uh, Lakers just turned the ball over way too much to to get a win out from tonight. Yeah. And like, you know, I want to like give the Knicks credit because like you said, they, they defended at a Laker type of level, just flying around all over the place. There was nothing easy. And that's the thing. If you can't get the easy stuff, like think about all the easy shots that the Nets were giving up the other night, you know, just by their sloppiness because they weren't cohesive in their rotations. If there was any breakdown, 
There was no second and third effort to try to shut that down. It was just, it was just smooth sailing. And in the Knicks, it's just nothing like that is easy. You have to, you have to create the easy shots through elite high end offensive talent. And they just, they just didn't have that tonight, but I wanted to kind of go through some of the players. So uh, what, if, let's just start with you. What did you think of THT's performance tonight? Cause I thought it was an interesting, you know, kind of microcosm of some of the things I've said about him all year. Uh, but I wanted yeah. to hear what you had to think about it. Yeah. So like, he's really the second only guy that can dribble and play make right on the team, especially if you're not playing Marcus Saul, which they did until late, especially him and Schroeder. So when Schroeder goes out, it's THT taking over a little bit of Alex Caruso. I thought he played well, really, in the first half. Like, I thought he tried to get things going. Uh, he was attacking the rim. He got a really nice alley-oop from Caruso as well. Um, and he got a, he got some jumpers to go down, too. I think he hit, I don't know if he hit two threes or he hit one three. I thought he was fine. Um, he did kind of go into his bad habits of trying to drive and uh, finish at the basket when they're just loading up at the rim. So he had a couple wild shots um, that he thought he got fouled on. But, I mean, it's it's tough when he's the, again, like, when you have a guy like that, he's 20, right? Um, he's not going to play well every night, but like these games are tough when he's the second uh, primary initiator behind Schroeder, especially when Schroeder goes off the floor, he's dependent and the Knicks are really good. That's what they do. They take away the basket and that's what Schroeder, that's what a THT wants to do. I thought, I thought he played okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think he was the reason they lost tonight. How about you? Well, I, I don't mean to say that he was the reason they lost. That's not kind of what I'm getting at here. What I, what I mean mm-hmm. is like the stuff that I've said about THT all season, you know, un- yeah. like just a ridiculous NBA superstar type of reverse alley-oop in transition mm-hmm. that just literally had everybody who was watching that game like, damn, I had no idea he could do that. You know, like I knew he could jump, but like <laughs> right. he, ca- he caught it and actually brought it down a little bit, just, just barely, but he brought it down a little bit more and then flushed it behind his head. Like just an unbelievable play. First half, he had like a really hard dribble right and then cross back between his legs, step back to the three-point line. He actually fumbled the ball a little bit, but it reminded yeah, me yeah. of that game winner that Terry. It reminded me of that game winner that Terry Rozier had against the uh, the Bucks in the playoffs like three years ago, or um, uh, where it just completely broke off Eric Bledsoe. Well, like literally, that's what it looked like, and I was just watching. I was like, you don't get that kind of separation unless dudes are just completely terrified of you going to the rim. He had another play in the second half where kind of got a guy on his hip and he does this like almost like a 360 with a live dribble where mm-hmm. he just like, he can, he dribbles left and like gets you his right shoulder all the way into you. And then just kind of like just reverse pivots, like right yeah. at, right at the rim. It, he has all of this potential, but there was an unbelievable amount of sloppiness, an inability to decipher what the Knicks were doing defensively. He still murders their spacing. There was a play where, you know, uh, Marcus Saul had the ball or Marcus Saul was in the opposite corner. Kyle Kuzma was trying to create something and they had, you know, Schroeder and, uh, K- uh, they had KCP Schroeder and, uh, um, uh, I think it was Wes Matthews on the other end of the floor mm-hmm. or it was THT and THT just didn't know where to stand. And at one point, like he just ran to the dunker spot and, mm-hmm. uh, and no one, no one guarded him there because they knew that he wouldn't be able to finish if he caught it there anyway, over all the size and he just, it, it really like neutered what they were trying to do with Kuzma isolating at the top of the key, just because the spacing was all messed up. So because teams don't respect his ability to shoot, because he struggles to decipher elite defense, because he's that guy that puts his head down and, and leaves his feet with no idea where he's going with the ball and just launches it out of bounds, that kind of thing, that kind of thing seems to show more when he plays these really elite defenses 
And I think it's just a sign of the fact that when we get into the nitty gritty here in the playoff run, that's what he's going to see every night. And I, I don't know necessarily that the good outweighs the bad with him this year, but I always want to frame that with that unbelievable potential that he shows with these ridiculous highlight plays that there's something there. I just, these nights like tonight remind me of why I wouldn't necessarily go that route in the postseason. Yeah, that, that could be right. And again, like right now, the the role he's playing is LeBron's role, right? That's what LeBron does for this team. He creates offense and that's what they're, they're kind of giving it to him and telling him to run screen roll at the top and try to create or attack in isolation. And it's going to work some nights when he has his jumper going, especially but when he does it, it's going to look like this. But the ones that are that's terrible. It's like the passes in transition. Like he had a really bad one, I think, to uh, forgot who he was throwing it to, but he threw it out of bounds. Those are the ones you, you can't have. But like I'll live with the kind of the mistakes in the half court for right now because the Lakers need him. Like he's a guy who can create offense. And uh, with the guys on the on the floor right now, a lot of them are like specialists, like guy like Ben McLemore as well. Just he's not gonna. You can't just put the ball in his hand and tell him to create. So I'm um, sure he's gonna have two turnovers. He's gonna have missed shots at the rim. Uh, he, he had one play tonight where, because like, I think the teammates are starting to figure out when he drives that players can cut, right? Like, he's, he's actually looking. He does a lot of – he gets in trouble by, like, jumping to pass a lot. But he had one play tonight, him and Caruso, where he drove baseline, and I think Caruso was supposed to drift to the corner. And then uh, Caruso just stayed on the three, and he kind of threw it out of bounds. So uh, plays like that are going to happen. But, like, uh, in the playoffs, I don't think this is the role he's going to be in, right? Like, maybe for a few minutes they'll throw him in there, but – it won't be for this long. It's going to be LeBron and AD creating offense. So um, he's going to have to fit in as a defender and off ball guy, which he did last year in the playoffs for a little bit. So I'm not sure how his minutes will be uh, once we get into that, like nitty gritty, as you said. But uh, yeah, I think for right now, like they need him to create offense because this is just that you see what it looks like without him. I mean, you have it's either throw it into Andre Drummond or, or Trez who just did not have it tonight. So he, I think he tried to create more, but yeah, the, you saw like both sides of him, right? You see that super highlight dunk, and then you see all the turnovers. So there's a, there's a, there's a, t- there's a give and take with him for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you said it. They absolutely, they the, by virtue of their predicament, they have to play him more. But they, the, the Lakers have guard options that are better options when they have their playmaking back. You know, like the like Wesley Matthews. Um, is struggling still a little bit offensively because he's not getting high quality looks, but Wesley Matthews is still a really, really good defensive player. Um, I actually think Ben McLemore has shown that he's more than adequate at uh, doing what they need him to do defensively. He had another really nice play today in transition. It was right for his first three where, uh, where he, uh, I want to say it was Julius Randle, but I can't remember exactly who it was, but he just jumps completely vertical at the rim on a rotation. So he wasn't even involved in the play and he, was, uh, you know, had his instincts brought him into the play and he, he went vertical and forced to miss, ran the floor, made a three in the corner. Um, I think that those are the kinds of guys that you'll see more of uh, when they don't need THT's playmaking. Because, like, there were stretches there in that third quarter where it was like the Knicks were on a run, THT's got the ball out front, and all the other guys are just kind of looking at him like, we need you to create something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and then I, th- I thought it was really messed up of Frank kind of to bring in Marcus all at the end of the game, the way he did. Cause like, I mean, anybody who's ever played knows that there's such thing as like a second wind. And at yeah. that point in the game, like everybody that's out there is, has their second wind already. Their, their bodies are warm. They're good to go. And you just throw Mark in against this ridiculously fast team. And he's barely like, he's got to be just completely winded. No, no legs, no nothing. Just cause he's not, he wasn't ready for that. 
And immediately they just started attacking him and pick and roll. Derek Rose had a layup on him. Alfred Payton had a layup on him. He just was a step slow around the rim. That's not to say that he's going to be, you know, a perfect fit and, in uh, uh and solve all their problems but like i thought it was kind of messed up to not use him all night and then the, all of a sudden just throw him into the fire at the end yeah i mean I, honestly like i don't think the plan was to play marcus all um especially in these coming games i just think trez and drummond especially their body language uh not just how they were playing just the way they were looking on the court um that i think that's why marcus all played and he played well in his minutes like i don't like Alfred Payne, yeah, i gotta lay up on him but like i think him just being a spacer um, and give give them like a release valve, right? I, I call him like a release valve. Like when Shooter has nowhere to go, he can just give it back to Mark, and Mark can try to find him. He caught him on a nice back cut. Um, and yeah, I mean the I mean Twitter's kind of going crazy with Marcus Gasol's minutes, but I just wouldn't look too deep into that right now. Like I don't think Vogel is going game to game and matchup hunting. Like I don't think he's looking at the Knicks roster and going, okay, Gasol would fit here well, and or Trez and Drummond fit here well. I think he's just rolling out the lineups. I just think those two played so bad tonight that that's why Mark got in. But uh, you see why he's still good. Like, he's obviously still a really good rotation player. I don't think he's out of the rotation. I think this is just the way the minutes are are breaking uh, right now. So I think this is a good problem to have. I mean, you talked about earlier with your experience with having – I think it's better to have too many good players, right, than, than mm. not. So I think this is the this is the problem you'd rather have here. And I, I think they'll they'll walk the fine line with it, obviously. But you saw Mark when he hit that three, he was fired up, right? Like he was obviously oh, yeah. excited to be in the game. Um, it's not like Mark was like, oh, man, I got to get in here now. So uh, it, it was good to see him at least get a minute. But it was weird that he got pulled so early. I thought five minutes was really quick. So that was really strange. Um, but they got drumming back in, and then the game just got got away from there. But I thought Mark Mark played well. Yeah, I think I think they took him out because he was getting attacked in pick and roll, and he was a step slow just because he wasn't warm. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, like the, it's amazing how – the whole like optics of the game, the whole optics of the floor shifted when he went in, like yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden Taj Gibson's standing, you know, 17 feet from the rim uh, right. trying to decide where to go. And, and now all of a sudden they're running these like super extensive dribble handoff actions. All of a sudden, like Dennis Schroeder's cutting back door. There's all of this stuff happening on the floor that just wasn't happening uh, before he got in the game. And that goes to show you, you know, something you and I've talked about a lot having to do with just versatility and the ability to go in different directions as, you know, a game dictates it because, you know, that game wasn't a must win and the Lakers simply lacked the personnel to get the win. But let's mm-hmm. pretend, you know, it's game three, you know, against uh, in a first round series against the Clippers and they're down by 12 in the middle of the third quarter. Drummond's, you know, shitting the bed for lack of a better term. And, you know, Trez is having a rough night. He's getting bullied by a Baca or whatever it is. You know, it's that ability to be like, let's try Mark and see what happens. And yeah. put him at the top of the key, get LeBron off the ball, whatever it is you need to do to to try to just mix things up. And when you combine that with the, you know, the ability of LeBron and AD to go to that extra level, um, you know, uh, offensively, uh, it, I think it just, I think it's, it's an absolute value add. And that's why, you know, any talk, I mean, he won't be, he won't be bought out anyway, because the deadline is passed. But that's why that talk never made any sense to me because he was, he, while they had a sudden depth in the front court, Marcus all mm-hmm. was the only player of his archetype, you know, right. that stretched the floor, really smart positional defender 
who can run your offense really with the ball in his hands at the top of the key. Like they didn't have anybody else like that. So giving that up never made any sense. It's like, the, it's the reason why you need to have an Alex Caruso or a THT on your team. But at the same time, you need your Wesley Matthews and your, and your Ben McLemore. You need your guys who can fill different roles. So it's like, we're going all in on spacing with LeBron playing all these shooters or like, we're going all in on running the floor in transition and just flying around on defense. We're going to play a lot of, you know, Caruso and Dennis, you know, like that, those are the different looks that you need to hit different gears in a playoff series. Uh, and it could be the difference between winning and losing quite frankly. Yeah. And I guess I, my only critique with Vogel is that um, I would have loved to see, I think this would have been a perfect game to see Trez and Gasol play together. I mean, none of the bigs really had it going yet. So it's not like you were going to take any minutes from someone who was playing well. I thought it'd been, and it's just not, this is not taking my word for it. He's the one that said he would try this. So that's the only reason why I'm still pushing on it is because he's the one that said he would try some Gasol and Trez uh, minutes together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that's the only thing I would say with him. I like, I don't know. People are blaming Vogel for this loss. I mean, I think it's tough. I thought the Knicks played really well and our bigs just had nothing going. Maybe Marcus Gasol coming in earlier helps that, but I just don't think that would have switched this game. I thought the Knicks played really well. And uh, yeah, I would just would have loved to see those two at least get a shot at some minutes together. Cause not having any minutes together with what, like 15, 16 games left or something, whatever games are left. Um, it's, is strange for two guys who are so so much a part of the rotation to not share the floor uh is a, is a really strange thing to be in uh this late into the season especially when you factor in that frank has like literally said i can't like i'm gonna play trez and and, and exactly and Mark together like it just doesn't make any sense and and especially in a game like tonight when nothing's working like man throw something like throw something at the wall and see if it sticks you know that's like the type of attitude that i think you gotta have but again like we talked about earlier you know, Frank just has an impossible job in my opinion. And, you know, he's got this ravenous fan base behind him (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he's in a position where it's difficult to win games and the team still has championship expectations. So it's, it's tough. And I, again, I want to give a lot of credit to the New York Knicks because like, you know, I was actually thinking before the game, you know, kind of bridging the gap over to talking about what happened with Brooklyn you know, the Lakers mm-hmm. beat Brooklyn's ass because they just played so much harder than them, like so, so much harder than them. And they, it, it punched him in the mouth. I mean, Kevin, Kevin, Durnett, Kevin Durant basically said so much in his postgame interview. And, uh, and to me, that, that was kind of like this new identity that took over the team because like last season and then for the first half of this season, even with as good as they were, their effort was inconsistent. Like they would lock in some nights and just absolutely smother teams. And then they'd play a team like Portland and kind of just BS their way through the game and then get beat by a hot hand, you know? And, and that was just kind of their identity was like, you know, we can turn it on whenever we want, but you know, like we're, we're kind of inconsistent. And then when LeBron and AD went down all of a sudden, like, dude, every night they're, they're bringing it <laughs> like every night they, they, I like, I feel confident that they're going to come out and defend. And uh, tonight I thought their defense was actually good. It was more their, the other hustle stuff, like the rebounds, the focus, the physicality. I thought that's where they got kind of beat. Um, uh, But it is interesting how their new identity has shifted towards being like this really consistent, like, like blue collar type of team. Even Frank Frank said after the the next game, he's like, I I just love uh, the way this team is playing right now. And it's kind of been cool to see. And it's kind of fun to think about how bringing LeBron and AD back in when the identity has kind of shifted towards being like, now all these other guys are so consistent in their hard work that they kind of have to match that. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's the point of this team is like they're not going to give up, right? I think the Knicks had a couple like double digit leads that the Lakers kind of came back on. I thought their defense was fine tonight, honestly, other than the offensive rebounding. Like, I thought they defended pretty well. And again, when you get nothing from, you know, Trez, who, who's a double fit, double digit scorer, Andre Drummond gave them nothing on offense tonight. And they still had, they still had a chance to win this one. And with a, hopefully AD can come back pretty soon but yeah against the Nets I mean going from LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin to like Taj Gibson and even though Taj Gibson is also it's older but um Taj Gibson and uh New Orleans Noel and guys like that against this also Knicks defense that prides themselves on their you know and how hard they play on that end as well um it's just a total different you know team that you play against um, but I don't think that takes away from how impressive you know what I mean that that Nets win was I mean that's a team that again was spotting Kevin Durant on the other side and Kyrie Irving for a half um I mean, tonight the, the Lakers just didn't didn't score enough. But yeah, when you when you think about putting LeBron and AD back on this team, hopefully it's just it should be a seamless fit, right? When you put superstars back in, um, and you have now two guys who are also just probably the best defenders at their position as well, um, putting them onto a team that's already locking down. Um, it should be it should be really good, and they should be able to pick up more wins going. So it's a winnable game tomorrow as well. They play Charlotte uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. on the road and. Uh, I think they can get that one. No Lamelo, Lamelo's out for the year, obviously, and uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, I think that that pretty much sums this game. Uh, the uh, Knicks just they played a lot better, a lot harder. Uh, you can tell uh, the difference between the Knicks and Nets on what they uh, prioritize on their teams. What was your biggest takeaway from the Nets game? I want to touch on that game um, just for a few minutes before we start getting other people involved here. Yeah, um, for me, I think it's like the Lakers, obviously, they play hard every night. I think that that's what it showed, right? It showed their culture is just to play really hard on defense. And if they can get open shots to go in, like, they, they can blow teams out. Like, if you don't come with the requisite effort, and obviously the Nets didn't, you know, obviously with with how shorthand the Lakers are and superstars, they didn't come with the requisite effort as if LeBron and AD were playing. And if you don't do that, Lakers are going to defend well. And uh, I thought their game plan was great, uh, rewatching that game, how they defended Kevin Durant, especially when uh, Kyrie went out. Their double teams and traps rotations were, were pretty perfect that night. And then they got open threes to go. THD hit a bunch of threes. Um, ben Malcolmore obviously got hot uh, at the end there. I guess uh, I want to ask you, I guess, about Ben Malcolmore really quickly because I thought uh, it was impressive tonight that even though he started like one for four, um, he still takes those like tough threes even though he's not – having it going i think that's something this team needed i know you're hot you're high on ben malcolmore um so what'd you think of him these last these last two games yeah i'm super high on him i think he makes so much sense with this roster i, I, I thought uh, maples again had a had something that he said in his podcast on sunday um mm-hmm. that was super interesting having to do with just his aggression like this is something we all talked about with kcp like when kcp is in a rhythm and he's really going it's like he's flying up the floor in transition like he's right. got a really quick trigger. He's got a really quick trigger. He had a quick trigger tonight. Like, man, if he had any space, it was going up and he just looked really confident in his decisions. And then it just all kind of fades when he's not playing well, you know, everything fades, his defense fades. Mm-hmm. He, he, like he'll start getting gun shy. Like he'll pass up on open shots. He'll start pump faking at ghosts. And uh, whereas like when he's really in a rhythm, he doesn't even need much space and he'll just go up. Well, Ben, Ben just has a completely different ideology and it, it comes from his whole approach to the game, but it also comes from the confidence that the group feeds him. Um, but he just basically is ready to fire if there's even an inch of space and it doesn't matter that he's over four, you know, that's yeah. his whole mentality. And to me, you know, everything is about the perception of space. Like if THT actually shot 40% from three, it's mm-hmm. not going to change the fact that teams aren't going to guard him. 
Like that's right. the difference. It, there's a, it, it was the Rondo effect from last year. Like Rondo would make some threes, but the possessions where Rondo would make a three were like this really stupid stagnant possession where everybody's kind of standing around. And then Rondo's like, all right, fine. I guess I'll shoot it. And like, he made 40% of them, but it like, it was, it, I don't want to say it was a net negative to the offense, but it wasn't like a, a really cool, like popping around possession that ended in somebody making a shot. It was always like a different type of deal. And, you know, Macklemore gives you some of that really fluid shooting. That's going to really generate real space for the Schroeders and the LeBrons and the, and the Anthony Davises of the world to get to work around the paint. Um, and then, you know, a couple of huge takeaways I had from that, that Brooklyn Nets game. First of all, like Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving. He's, you're not stopping him. I mean, like as right. someone who, as someone who watched him every single night for years, like you, you're not going to stop that guy. And I've watched him against the very best defenses in the league, like against Clay Thompson in the Golden State Warrior defense that was all over the place. He's going to get to his shots, but there's a difference between like Kyrie making it look too easy and making him work for his stuff. And I thought the Lakers demonstrated in that game, especially through Dennis Schroeder at the point of attack, just picking him up full court, making things difficult for him that, that it, it like legitimately made him work hard. And then one of the craziest things I've ever seen, uh, and I know there was another story surrounded this and I don't even want to get into it, but the, like Dennis got in his head a little bit and legitimately psyched him out because I've never ever in my time watching Kyrie seen him do that. I have never seen him lose his cool and start like cussing a player out and like freaking out and leaving the floor. That just was never his personality. He was so like his on-court demeanor was always so different. And, and I think Schroeder deserves some credit for that just by being a pest. Like he just irritated him all night. And then whatever was said that was said that put him over the edge, that's a separate story. But what got him to that point of irritability was Dennis Schroeder and the work he was putting in defensively. And I, th- I thought that that was really, really interesting in, in the way that it affected him. And that's something stupid like that is something that uh, can have a significant impact on a playoff series to where you feel comfortable in that matchup. Like, yeah, Kyrie's going to get his 24 tonight, but Dennis is going to make him work. And it's not going to be as impactful uh, as it would be if we were giving up a significantly worse matchup, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Schroeder was scoring right back on him, right? Like, I think that's oh, where yeah. the frustration was going on. I don't think any of that probably, well, I mean, what happened with him is a different story, as you said. But, yeah, Schroeder was scoring on him. Uh, they were kind of hunting him, making him defend, uh, making him go around screens, um, and just making him work for his points, right? Like, he had, THD had an awesome defensive possession on him. Kyrie just hit a ridiculous shot. But, yeah, Schroeder was matching him bucket for bucket, and I think that's what's important. You're not going to match Kyrie's production with Schroeder, I don't think. But if, like, he puts up 24 and Schroeder can put up 17, 18, um, I think that's a win in that kind of uh, in that kind of series. And they're going to make him work. I think that, again, that Lakers-Nets matchup we've been through is a really fascinating kind of difference in styles. Um, and, like, the Lakers want to kind of bully you. And I thought Drummond and, and uh, kind of showed that, right? Like, I— like my one of my big takeaways from the game is I don't think Lamarcus Aldridge is playable in a Lakers net series. Like I just don't think you can run him out with against like even just Andre Drummond. But when AD gets to LeBron, uh, those guys are just going to feast at the rim. So they're going to have to rely on thirty-five-year-old Aldridge or however old Blake Griffin is or twenty-year, twenty-one-year-old uh, Sweetie Claxton. So that's a thing that they're going to have to figure out or just run Jeff Green at the five. So. Um, that's, that's kind of what was my main takeaway from that Nets game. The Lakers are going to pretty much get to the room when they want. 
Um, obviously, Harden, Kyrie, KD are a hell to defend, but like that—that that was my main takeaway. Is like this—it's going to be a Lakers are going to try to make that a bruising matchup, while the Nets are going to try to make that like a speed kind of run run down the court uh, offensive game. Yeah, so that was the second thing I was going to get at, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It just has to do with the the way the matchups work out. And if you remember when 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 Ben McLemore got signed, I told you that one of the main reasons why I wasn't as concerned about him defensively is that mm-hmm. the way that the 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 way that the Laker defense was set up was different from the Houston defense because the 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 Houston defense, which is more or less the same as the Brooklyn defense, the switch everything defense, uh, it's all about leaving guys on an island, and and they do it on purpose because. Even if you do score, um, the idea is it stagnates you. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they want they want you to not move the ball around. They want you to continue to attack in isolation. And I'll give you two quick examples to kind of show the juxtaposition between the two. So Andre Drummond gets a post up against LaMarcus Aldridge. They're not sending help. It's like, you got him, LaMarcus. We'll see what mm-hmm. happens because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bog down their offense or whatever it is that they're hoping to do. And, and Andre just, just completely bullies him. So right. in tonight's in tonight's game, Ben McLemore gets a switch and he ends up on Julius Randle. Immediately, the Lakers Lakers send a double. In the double, there's a, a chaotic rotation that leads to a contested RJ Barrett corner three, because the Laker defense is completely different from the way that that uh, uh, Brooklyn Nets defense is set up. They they are all about helping each other and they never want to give up a mismatch if they can avoid it. And it's all about trusting, like making up for personnel weaknesses with extra effort plays. That's like the whole way that their 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 system is set up. And, and ironically, the, the the Knicks are set up the same way because guess what? Like Andre Drummond can just as easily bully Nerlens Noel as he can uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lamarcus Aldridge. The difference is, is the Knicks were like, we're not going to let him bully <laughs> Nerlens Noel. Like <laughs> we're going to dig at him. We're going to dive at the ball. Like every time you put the ball on the floor, there were hands in there. Like it was it was congestion and it was, it was, it was just a, just a total chaotic environment around the paint that made it so that LaMarcus was, man, every time he put the ball on the floor, it seemed like something bad happened, you know, but that's the difference between those two defensive concepts. And when I look at that series now, you know, the Lakers have in the Dennis Schroeder stuff in the first half of that game where he was just absolutely destroying, you know, like Mm -hmm. Nick Claxton and, and Aldridge and all these guys on switches. And then every single time they drop into the paint, he just made them pay from the three point line. Schroeder is just yet another option that the Lakers can go to against that switching defense to attack specific mismatches. Like now the, you can throw it down to Aldridge in the post against the KD or against LaMarcus Aldridge. You can uh, get Schroeder working in switches against the bigs on the perimeter. You can get LeBron in the post. You can get LeBron on the perimeter. You can get Anthony Davis in the post. Anthony Davis can spot up at the three point line. They have all these different methods of attack. And, and I think like in a weird way, you know, in the same way that the Knicks defense kind of shut down the Lakers tonight, you know, the, the Brooklyn Nets defense is going to kind of keep things open for the Lakers and play directly into their hands. Cause the Lakers are not a heavy motion type of offense. They've always, even with LeBron in AD, they've always been a attacking certain matchups type of offense. And so like I, yeah. I my big takeaway from that game is I think they're built for that. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I think even just AD coming back would help this team so much because you could tell, like, there are so many possessions where they'll just look at each other like, what are we running here? And, you know, you could see Schroeder move his hand a lot. Like, all right, let's just let's run this, you know, a little little double drag here for KCP or get uh, Kuzma coming off the screen or something like just to run sets. And I think uh, with AD coming back, just have a guy that, you know, 
like, okay, he's the first option here. Like, this is what we're going to. And then play out of that would, would help them so much. Um, against the Nets, again, like, that's their defense is just like, I, I see the Lakers as a team that uh, if you get an advantage against them, you have to take it, you could take advantage of that in like a split second, right? So let's say uh, when they trap, you have like two, you have like a split second to decide where you want the ball to go. And they make guys who aren't making decisions like that have to make those decisions. So like uh, Bruce Brown had mm-hmm. to make those. Bruce Brown and make those decisions, Jeff Green, uh, et cetera. Again, when, when they have all their stars back, it'll be tougher. But again, I think that's what they'll want to do is uh, all their traps are going to try to make guys who don't, who aren't good at making really quick first read, high IQ, pass read decisions uh, have to make those passes at a high level. And you can see what happens, especially against the Nets. Um, they had really trouble creating good offense. And uh, yeah, that's what the Lakers do in the Nets uh, with their defense. When I was rewatching the game, it was like once they get one, once they get beat once, it's over. They just let that advantage stay. Like when THT would come with pick and roll and Aldridge would, would help, no one's back, No one's on the back line. So it would just be a layup for Drummond or uh, or Trez, whoever was there. Trez got like five dunks on it, just sitting in the dunker spot waiting for the ball because the rim protection just wasn't there off the help. So, yeah, the, these two teams like the Knicks and the Nets are just totally different in terms of their identities and what they're kind of going for right now. And uh, the, I think that was the difference in the two games. Yeah, and the microcosm of the of the Brooklyn Nets uh, kind of like lack of cohesive uh, mm-hmm. defense was that play after Ben McLemore made all the threes where they had uh, uh, basically Montrezl Harrell set a pin down for um, uh, for Ben coming off the screen and and then basically Trez just slipped the pin down and two Brooklyn Nets guys ran with uh, <laughs> yeah. Ben McLemore and Trez Trez was wide open for the backdoor alley of dunk like. That to me is it reminded me of watching like the 2017 Cavs who were so sloppy in their defensive cohesiveness. And that did just seeing those two defenses two nights apart, the Nets and the Knicks, there's such a huge difference between the two of them. And I, I think that that stuff matters in a playoff series where each possession carries so much value. That team that is more cohesive defensively is going to gain a significant advantage. Now, whether or not that's enough, to make up for the difference between, you know, a team that has James Harden, Kevin uh, Durant and Kyrie Irving on it. We'll find out. Uh, But that's why I like their chances in that matchup. Uh, But Raj, I made you the host. So you want to get some people involved in here? Yeah, sure. So if anyone wants to uh, come up and uh, talk, give a comment, uh, question, whichever, or just, you know, vent about the game or anything, uh, just request to speak and I'll I'll, uh, add you up. Uh, Meanwhile, I'll go through the chat here. Um, they said, uh, one of them says, were the Lakers turnovers mostly unforced? Um, said they shot themselves on the foot. I would agree with that, right? Jason, most of these were unforced turnovers. I mean, the Knicks defense was good, but a lot of these were just, I think we spoke about earlier, they were just bad passes or, you know, bad ideas, just things with very, uh, very high, uh, risk, low reward kind of passes. Exactly. 100%. The, it's the, it's the difference between what the end result of the pass would be. Like when you throw a turnover, on a swing pass or an any sort of bailout pass where you've got into the paint, no one's really open and you're just throwing the ball up in the air and it's a turnover. It's an unforced error, but it's also a turnover that carried absolutely no uh, potential for reward. Whereas like if LeBron throws a full court pass to KCP streaking the floor and a dude picks it off, it's like if that pass gets through, it's a dunk, you know, there's yeah. a, there's a difference there. So at least you can, you can paint that as, as, as part of the process of trying to generate offense. But yeah, I think, I think the Lakers absolutely had 
uh, as of late, a lot of unforced turnover, a lot of unforced errors and a lot of uh, turnovers that don't carry the benefit um, that could come when the pass actually is completed. Yeah, exactly. And again, anyone wants to come up, let me know, or you can just type a question in the chat. I'll read it as well. Um, so another one, Drummond looked bad tonight. There were points where he looked a little disinterested. I wonder if that was a lack of post-ups. I don't think it was from a lack of post-ups. I mean, I think he understood how he was being defended. Uh, they were just trapping him. He did have some bad body language, but I think that was just he could tell he wasn't playing well. And him and Trez both, they looked like they were coming from the same kind of energy tonight. They just didn't have it, and that, that happens some, sometimes. Yeah, no, Raj and I mentioned earlier that he just had bad body language and, and so did Montrez. And I thought they both got discouraged just by how badly they were getting outplayed. And, you know, some of that is like the pressure that comes with being in the position they're in. You know, I think I think it's a yeah. lot of pressure to know, like, like it was on one of the plays when Montrez, like, I think it was the one that you mentioned earlier where he tried to shoot that little wimpy floater over Taj and got blocked. <laughs> like, you right. could like see him running down the floor thinking like, ah. I'm sure yeah. the people on Twitter hate me for that one. You know, like that's just kind of the vibe that surrounds him sometimes. But yeah, I mean, as far as the, his, his role in the offense goes and getting touches, like mm-hmm. I, I would hope that there's communication coming from the alphas in that locker room that yeah. would prevent anybody from getting too high and mighty for, for what their role is going to be. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And another one, um, Trez was too small tonight. Yeah, we just touched on it. Um, I, I'm not sure if his height was mostly the thing. I think he just had a bad night. Uh, but Gibson and uh, Noel really, really put it to him. Um, very hard to rebound with Trez on the floor. If there's no gang rebounding, it's curtains. I mean, Trez is a pretty good offensive rebounder, which I was kind of surprised why he struggled so much. I think, I think again, I think the size just got to him tonight. Um, but the whole team kind of struggled with that. They weren't really boxing out. And the Knicks are a team that really crashed the boards. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I believe they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams um, in the league. Uh, but, yeah, that that was just tough. What do you think about the offensive rebounding, Jason? Was that just the Lakers not boxing out? Was that um, uh, the Knicks just uh, attacking the boards or what, just maybe a mixture of both there? Like the, like I said earlier, I thought that that was the area where their effort was lacking. Like I thought, yeah. I think you and I both agree that their defense was was dialed in plenty. It was more yeah. just all of the stuff on the periphery of that where they got outworked by New York. As far as Montrez's offensive rebounding goes, it's interesting because guys who are really, really good offensive rebounders, a lot of them don't do it with positioning. Like, you know, there's different types of rebounders. There's, you know, your your Moses Malone type of uh, of rebounder who just did it in his entire career by by gaining position on guys. And then there's yeah. the, the Kyle Kuzma type, the, the Montrez Harrell type, the guys who get offensive rebounding, uh, get offensive rebounds basically by crashing, you know, yeah. they're, they're relentless crashers. And the, the difference is, is, you know, uh, on the other end, they, you know, when, when you're a positional rebounder, you dig the contact, you're constantly involved in box outs and you're seeking bodies and you're always trying to gain position on people. Well, when you're a crasher, like you're, you're kind of anti-contact in a lot of ways. Cause your, your whole purpose of what you're doing is to avoid bodies and I think, I think Montrez just, he's bad at boxing out. And, and it's because his whole, you know, embracing, you know, the physicality of the game, he's all about avoiding that contact in order to slip by guys to get rebounds. Even as a post-up player, he's not like a, Montrez is not necessarily like a put it through your chest type of post-up player. Like he's the guy that'll face you up and do crossovers and do sweeping hooks and things like that. He's mm-hmm. more of a, uh, like he, he can do like a power dribble finish, you know, when, it, when he's in a catch and finish type of role, but 
he's, he's, you know, he's not the kind of guy that, that is, is great at the actual, you know, physicality of rebounding, you know, getting attached to people's bodies, squatting low and pushing them out of the paint so that they can't jump. Cause more often than not, dudes are just reaching and jumping over the top of him and getting it. And if you do a good box out, like no one's getting, no one involved in the box out is getting the rebound. Even the guy who's doing the boxing out, you leave it to the guards to come in and crash. And I just think that that's a personal weakness of his. And, you know, it, Montrez, just like you and I have talked so many times, you, you mentioned like if Montrez was an amazing defensive rebounder, an amazing offensive rebounder, and an amazing defender who also gave you 20 points on 60% shooting every night, he'd be an all-star. Like he'd be, right. he'd be a super max player like that. Like the, 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 all of these dudes, when you're getting down these depth charts come with positives and negatives. And if they didn't, they would be, $30 million a year superstars. And so Montrez's weakness, one of his weaknesses, he's got a few, but one of his weaknesses is, is that he's not great as a physical boxing out type of, of, of big that can help secure defensive rebounds. It's a little area of weakness in his game. Yeah. And what's funny about him is like, um, I think I said the stat earlier, he's passed out like four times after getting the ball in the post, like all season or some, some low number like that. But he's like, he tries to dunk when, you know, there's like four people around him. So he'll be like physical then, but when it's like a one-on-one matchup, he'll like drive and then fade away doing like a hook shot or something like that. So it's funny when he gets physical. Beyond the boards, he's not really much, especially defensive rebounding is where he struggles. Um, he's a better offensive rebounder. He has nice touch uh, around the rim. Um, let me see here. Yeah, shout out James. He said, I think this is a point that we kind of agree with. Vogel just collecting data points right now, um, finishing up the politics of playing Trey and Trez over Mark playoffs will be different I, I think we agree I'm, I'm not sure how much politics of it is but um yeah I think Bogle's getting data points I, I don't think he's going into these um matchup you know matchup dependent right now uh Lakers I don't even think have the talent for that to be matchup depending but I, I don't think he's doing that Do you, would you agree with that that the playoffs will be different Mark probably plays a lot more or you know Trez is out or you know whatever matchup uh we go whatever matchup uh decides yeah, I mean, think, think of it this way: like, how how often last year did we get frustrated with JaVale McGee's minutes? <laughs> right. And then and then when push came to shove, those minutes just ceased to exist because at the end of the day, you know, like there's there's a sense of urgency that clicks in at specific moments in the postseason where it's time to stop messing around. But but I agree that I think he's just kind of trying to see what works and and getting a feel for specific uh, lineups and try to see because some, some of it's natural fit and some of it's not natural fit. And you just kind of got to feel things out. Like there's that moment earlier this year where they started every fourth quarter with, you know, Talon Horton, Tucker, Montrez Harrell and, and LeBron. And they just would blitz teams to start the fourth quarter. Like you just, Oh crap. Like there's something there that works and we need to mm-hmm. kind of see what's going on there. Like, I, I think that's, that's all it is. And I want to reiterate what I said at the beginning of the show, which is that Frank Vogel has an impossible job. He's a, he's a, head coach of a team with the largest and most ravenous fan base in the NBA with championship expectations and playing without the two stars that the entire roster was built around. Um, and, and he has vastly exceeded expectations in this stretch. And, you know, I, I always talk like with the, with the, I use the warriors as an example, like teams, like the, the, the warriors fan base has been so relentless in criticism of Steve Kerr. Um, and in criticism of everybody on that roster. And it's so ridiculous because it's like, dude, they lost Clay Thompson and they lost Kevin Durant in the last two off seasons. And they're basically playing with a 
duct taped roster. And if you, anybody that knows basketball that you asked before the season, you'd have been like, yeah, they're fighting for the eight seed. And guess what? They're fighting for the eight seed. And so the idea that they're actually in terms of what's the end result of these games are they're doing fine, but people are so obsessed with, you know, micromanaging what's an impossible job that Steve Kerr has now, which is winning games in a ridiculously stacked Western conference without the talent advantage. He's, more or less doing exactly as, as we expected him to do. And, and that's kind of what Frank is dealing with right now. Like he literally was dealt a crap hand of cards where his two best players went down with an injury. Kuzma has been down with an injury at some points, you know, uh, Gasol went down for a little bit, you know, Dennis getting ejected in the middle of the game. He's been dealt a crappy hand of cards over the last 12 games. And if you would have told us before that stretch with all of the personnel issues that they'd have, that they would go five and seven, and have like huge wins along the way, we'd all be like, absolutely. Where where do we sign? We'll take that, you know? And I I think like we all need to kind of understand and adjust our expectations and, and, and cut Frank a whole lot of slack for what is just a really difficult job that he has right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no one was talking rotations when they were up 20 on the nets. Right. I mean, (laughs) I, I tweeted today, like, did we already forget that nets game happened? I mean, that was Saturday. Saturday, which is like two days ago, and people are like, "Man, Vogel doesn't know how to coach." I'm like, "Come on, man! He's coaching the number one defense right now without LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Take seventy million dollars cap. Uh, forget the two players. Take seventy millions of dollars of cap room off of any team and see how they play." So uh, I think they've definitely um, overgone expectations. Um, shout out Michael uh, Morales says, "When Bron and AD come back, what role do you see Drummond playing on the offense?" Feels like we won't. Uh, see too many drum and post subs when they get back so i think his impact on offense is kind of muted yeah i mean i, I think we've talked about this a lot i mean his role is going to change he's not going to be a post-up guy a guy they throw it into that's going to be lebron that's going to be ad and then he's going to guy that's going to be able to crash offensive rebounds um the knicks sent like two guys to him i don't know if you saw this jason today like on the offense on the defensive rebounding they sent two guys to box him out specifically and uh, he couldn't get uh, any uh, offensive. I think he got only like one or two offensive rebounds tonight. I have to check. I didn't check the numbers, but it felt like he didn't get um, that many. And uh, yeah, I think his role is going to change. He's going to buy a guy that attacks the boards, sit in the dunker spot, um, get very little. He's going to get like the JaVale kind of like, hey, here's a possession. Go, go nuts. You know what I mean? But other than mm-hmm. that, I think uh, he's going to be a guy who just fits into the uh, fits into the role. And uh, yeah, he got one offensive rebound tonight. So he had nine defensive rebounds, one offensive rebound, which kind of fit the tape for me that they really went to box him out. And, uh, yeah, so uh, what do you think his role will be when they get back, uh, when when the two stars get back? Well, so more or less for his entire career, he's been either the primary focus of a defense or the secondary focus of a defense. And in just about every lineup he'll be exposed to in this postseason run, he'll be the third or fourth, <laughs> you know, uh, priority right. def- defensively for the other team. They're not going to be able to throw multiple guys at him. And, I kind of see him doing exactly what he did against the Nets, which is specific mismatches when there's lots of space around him for him to go to work because he's just sloppy with the ball. But when yeah. he has lots of space to go to go to work, n- uh, not as much congestion and surrounded by other high IQ players, I see them feeding him uh, to attack specific matchups, but also just, you know, like I mentioned in our last pod, just fatigue oriented possessions like the, you know, the, the LeBron's out there with the bench, Schroeder and AD are on, uh, are, uh, are on the bench getting rest. And, 
you know, LeBron has been aggressive on three or four straight possessions and they feed Drummond almost as like a, like a on court type of rest situation for LeBron to just try to generate something. That's kind of what I mainly see for him. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, he's literally never, ever, 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 ever come close to playing with anybody who remotely resembles what LeBron can do as a ball handler. Right. Never. So I, I don't think we know what it's going to look like. I, I, I think there's a whole other part of his game that we're going to be exposed to um, just as, you know, a, a, a pick and roll uh, screener with an elite decision maker. That's something that he never had before. I mean, if we ju- just look at what LeBron helped do for AD last year and just kind of uh, kind of just think of a similar type of uh, of, of development for, for Drummond as well. Yeah, uh, forget AD. Look what he did for Damian Jones this year. I mean, Damian mm-hmm. Jones went yep. 15 for 16 from the field as a Laker, and uh, it still wasn't enough for uh, for that uh, rest of the season signing. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's going to be fine when LeBron and AD come back. He's going to be able to fit his role. Um, shout out Ryan. Kali, do the Clippers scare you? They added Rondo, Batum, Serge, and starting to play with Cohesion. I really like the Rondo signing for them. I think he really helps them, like especially when Paul George and Kawhi kind of get mid-range happy. He's able to kind of decide where the ball goes. Uh, but again, I think there's a regular season Rondo, there's a playoff Rondo, and then there's a myth that kind of puts both of those together. Um, I, like I think he played well in the, I think he played well in the playoffs. I think, but you know, I think that was kind of mythologized even more because of the history. And you know, he had a great game six. I mean, you watched that and he, he played really well. Um, but I think those spurts kind of weren't showed. But I think he's gonna help them. What do you think of the additions? I, I don't know. I don't think they scare. I mean, you're the big Clipper guy that they don't like, but um, I don't think scare is the right word. But you know, are, have you seen a few of their games lately? Do you think they're they're playing a little bit better? And do they match up better now with? with uh surge and rondo but batum uh against the lakers so consistently since the beginning i've said that i thought the clippers were the greatest threat to the lakers i I think it i think it just has to do with matchups i don't think that i think the clippers would lose to the nuggets in a playoff series that started tomorrow i think they would Mm -hmm. struggle against the jazz i think they would i think it'd be a coin flip type of deal with the suns but i think the nuggets would flat out beat them um, but yeah. that said of all of those teams I mentioned, I think the Clippers have the best chance. We actually talked about this in the pod the other day. Like yeah. AD is this AD is this neutralizing effect for, uh, for Gobert that, that, that throws the whole series off and they just don't have the wing defenders to guard LeBron. And then you look at the nuggets, it's like their greatest action that they run is like a Jokic Murray pick and roll. And it works because they're so different in their size, uh, that teams can't switch it. Well, the, the Lakers and and uh, uh, LeBron and AD are just going to switch that action and shut them down. Yeah. And then they, they have the problem of having to put Aaron Gordon um, on either LeBron or AD, which leaves Michael Porter Jr. to have to guard either LeBron or AD, which is just a right. huge mismatch for them. And we went down, that won't go any further, but we went down the list with all those other guys. Well, the Clippers, you can actually kind of draw out how they would guard the, the right. Lakers. And you can see how um, they kind of do like a more coherent version of what the Nets do where they switch everything, but they have like less weakness on the floor. Um, so I, I've always believed that they, they present a threat as far as the Rondo signing goes. Like, you know, I, I, we all had to eat our words a little bit with the Rondo stuff. Cause he was so bad for two entire regular seasons. And right. he, he had good moments in the playoffs, but that kind of took on a life of its own and became this huge narrative that he had, you know, somehow become like the third member of this big three. And I think that that was totally ridiculous because 
he still the thing with Rondo is that he for every night that he has where he's transcendent offensively, he has another night where he's completely inept. And then defensively, he is the number one, uh, like the most likely candidate to throw your defense off by being by making a poor decision. He he's mm-hmm. a textbook like gambler, gets himself out of position, kind of like kind of at the same time slacks like he's a 15 year superstar, but he's not a 15 year superstar. And he quits possessions like he there's a lot of stuff with Rondo that, that comes that's a negative. And, and he, he went from being an absolute nightmare in the regular season to being a serviceable backup guard in the playoffs. <laughs> but, right. but I I think I think a lot of his impact was overstated. And guess what? He looked fantastic against Chris Paul the other night. He hates Chris Paul. I don't know what the deal is. He absolutely destroyed Chris Paul. That's one yeah. night, and every Laker fan out there knows what that experience is like. The one night Rondo Renaissance. We've all seen it. Right. And then and then they'll disappear into the ether for the next week and they may win or lose in the in these games, but like like Rondo's gonna have some really bad ones mixed in there. <laughs> you know, like yeah. and it will never be the story. Right. And I think the most interesting to me thing about the Clippers is the Zubog versus Surge, because I think Zubog's actually is better and he should be starting, but you know, I don't know what happens when Serge Ibaka gets back. He's a guy that LeBron has picked on in playoff series in the past and mm. has, has really struggled against LeBron as a guy that um, is going to try to defend in space. He's obviously going to spread out. He gives him that three-point shooting. But I think that's a fascinating thing that uh, they'll be able to um, kind of – they'll have to decide once the playoff comes around because he's he's really picked up their defense. But uh, we're we're past an hour here, um, and I guess if no one, no one wants to speak or uh, try to request to speak – um I, there's just one last question here that's kind of funny to me shout out dj mackendong says in the summer of 2014 if lebron goes to golden state how many ring does he have now and what team <laughs> <laughs> and what team is on at this moment if that happens so in 2014 i guess they have steph clay iggy and then i guess lebron joins that team somehow uh i don't think i don't think the cap spiked yet during that season so but again, they would have done of, some kind of like <laughs> sign and trade, something like yeah. that. I have a I have a really hard time like figuring that kind of thing out because I think I, LeBron is all about the narrative and yeah. you know like notice when he went to Cleveland, even though there was a clear ba- basketball X's and O's thing, he he went when they weren't a playoff team, so he knew that he'd get credit for their success, right? Like it became mm-hmm. LeBron took this perennial loser Kyrie Irving and turned him into a winner. <laughs> LeBron took this perennial loser in Kevin Love and turned him into a winner. And then there was the coming home part of it. Well, the Lakers is the same thing. It was like LeBron is resurrecting this, <laughs> this, this historic franchise that has completely gone to shit and they're terrible. And, and he, and now like LeBron is literally regarded as the person who fixed the Lakers. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> like, like he's all about the narrative. And, and if there's one thing that Kevin Durant screwed up, you know, cause Kevin Durant had the team part down, like Kevin Durant knows how to put, put himself in a position where he's on a kick-ass basketball team that is just almost guaranteed to win that right. he's better at that than LeBron. But Kevin Durant has completely butchered the narrative part of it, like completely oh, sure. butchered it. Like he, he has completely put himself in the position where he's experiencing the exact opposite effect of those LeBron narratives. It's, it's, you know, I joined this powerhouse team and, and they had already won a championship, you know, or like I went to Brooklyn and it was kind of sloppy. And then all of a sudden James Harden comes on and we're beating the hell out of everybody. I'm not, I'm not even playing, you know, like 
you just that that narrative part ends up kind of carrying more weight because people just want to know what the story is. It's it's 20 years from now when we're sitting by a water cooler and we're happen to be talking basketball. Like, how do we tell the story of KD's career? How do we tell the story of LeBron's career? And and the, like, regardless of results and regardless of all the machinations that go on behind the scenes, like there's a narrative part of, of it that LeBron knocked out of the park. He never would have gone to Golden State in 2014 for that reason. You know what I mean? Do we have any other questions or we're good? I think we're good. I think uh, I think we went went through all. Shout out James Santiago. Thank you for your questions, Michael. Um, who else? Rob, DJ, Mac and Dog, Emma, Sally. Thank you guys all for your questions uh, for tonight. Yeah, and thanks uh, for tuning in, guys. Uh, like I said, don't be don't be gun shy. Hit the button and and come join us and talk some hoops next time. Um, and I'm going to. Immediately after closing this out, I'm going to go onto my laptop and uh, and put this into a podcast, and I will release it um, for you guys to listen to tomorrow in its entirety. Um, but Roger and I are going to try to do this every week, and um, next week we'll be having Jason Maples come on as well, so that'll be fun. And then Roger and I will be bringing you a full length uh, podcast on Friday morning as well. Yep, awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks everyone. All right, guys. Have a good night.